Can everybody hear in the back? We're getting better? Louder, louder? Louder people are saying, there you go, now I'm getting it. Rare is the day when people say that I am soft-spoken, so uh, I was a little worried there. We want to welcome you to Parkside Bible Fellowship. We're excited you're here. We're very excited that you are here online or watching later this week. It's exciting being able to share and being able to be part of this when you physically can't be here. And this is the tough part about it. COVID's now uh, probably tomorrow. It's been just about a year since it became very serious and, uh, and it was recognized as that. And this has been a tough one for sure. We're excited you're here at Parkside. We encourage you, if you didn't get your Thursday email that is full of information, that you need to sign up. Stop by the Welcome Center. It's also the Resource Center because it's full of information about us. Our doctrine is online on our website. All of it's in here in the bulletin. It's also back here at the Welcome Center. The membership packets and lots and lots of resources, obviously, as well as getting your email dropped off. You can get it to the office, you can call, you can uh, just give us a quick text. I want to call your attention to the bulletin. A few things going on. It's coming up. It's uh, the end of February, but Easter and Resurrection Sunday is just around the corner. And we're hoping to have a baptism and have a, uh, a, a full opportunity for that. So we give you lots of, of notice. And uh, if you're curious, if you're led to that, if you just want to know more, get a hold of the office. Details are in here. Parkside's going to have a blood drive, and it saddens me. Where's Sarah? Sarah's right there. So Sarah said, make sure you say the blood drive. So I've given 13 gallons, and years ago, as an old guy, you take a medication, you can't do it anymore. So we're going to rely on you to sign up and to know more about it. So in the foyer, the blood drive is coming up here in a few weeks, actually about seven weeks. And so we encourage you to stop by and, and just let us know if you're interested so they know how big of a crew to bring. Hopefully it's a bus and it's a lot of people. And uh, the blood drives really waned during COVID. So if you're interested, stop by the table for the blood drive. And it's not a sign up. It's not a commitment. It's an ability to see how many are interested. Also, it's almost March and VBS is just around the corner in June. Details are in here. You got to get signed up. You have to let us know if you're interested because there's just so much to do ahead of time. So do that through here. And then we have the Cowboys Rest summer schedule is here. Save the dates, but more so get signed up. Forms are available. You can do it online, do it through church. It's easy to do, but do it early because it'll fill up. And we encourage you for that. And we're glad you're here. Good morning. Good to see you. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Psalm 145 uh, and portions of Psalm 145. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame 
of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you here this morning to thank you and to echo what we just read. Thank you for your wonderful deeds, your awesome works, all that you have accomplished. Lord, help us to be a people that continue to lift you up with thanks for what you do and who you are. You're full of compassion and mercy to us. Thank you, Lord. And your desire is to receive worship here this morning from each one of us. Lord, you have made us, you've created us to be worshiping you. And Lord, we confess to you how we have strayed and chased after other things to worship. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to, right now, turn to you and look to you, that you would be glorified, that you would help us in lifting up praise to your holy name. Thank you for how great you are, Lord. Be glorified in our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Trust and pray that that is true of your life, and uh, that Jesus is your life. And when we get into the Word more and more and more, we recognize that uh, there's so much fluff that we have to kind of play with in this world and in this life, but nothing really matters when it comes to comparing it with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. And so we gather together to worship Him, and now in our time right now, we're going to join together in prayer. 
As you can see, um, we have a picture of dear Amun and Gazala and their, and their sons and their nephew. And so uh, we want to be praying for Amun and Gazala this morning. Um, this is a first for me. I'm using my phone to re- let you know the update. All right. Um, okay. This just came in this morning. That's why I'm doing this. Um, dear PBF family, this report is before uh, distribution of shoes and Bibles. There are testimonies of two Muslim key leaders in Islamabad who are now followers of Christ. Two families among many others with whom Alpha pastors, Alpha Ministries pastors, have shared the gospel. They made a commitment to follow Christ, keep them in prayers due to death threats. Alpha Ministries pastors Ashraf in Islamabad, shopping, packing, and shipping children's shoes for the villages. Uh, To deal with the logistics in Pakistan is the most difficult part. There are uh, many challenges faced for being a Christian ministry due to red tape and bribery. Praise God for an active Alpha Ministries team to handle large distributions by prayers and God's wisdom. These children's shoes will be a means to introduce Christ to many Muslims and Catholics. We are uh, excited for the harvest and to share the good news. We love you, Amun and Gazala. And um, that's the update from them. Um, we are privileged to support Amun and Gazala in their ministry. They uh, themselves are in New Jersey, and that's their home base, and uh, they reach out to uh, lots of ethnic groups there. So uh, please remember them in your prayers. Also, along with that, we want to remind you to please pray for Pam Wickheiser as she uh, still is healing over a, a bad knee, um, a bum knee, and, uh, and also the fact that uh, Sam is now in heaven and uh, not with her to help anymore. So please pray for Pam. And little Amelia May Allen, just born last week, yes, um, please Keep the Allens in your prayers, and especially Amelia, as she um, continues healing. Also, um, something else that came in uh, just recently, we support Peter and Heather Malakar in India, and Peter's father passed away uh, last week, so please pray for um, that family as they deal with that and have a service for him. We're just, uh, again, this is a great privilege to pray and to be together to worship. So let's join in prayer, please. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can join 
in prayer right now. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity to bring our praises and our prayer requests to you. Thank you that there is no one like you. You are God. You are our Creator. And thank you that through Jesus now we have been reconciled. Lord, we praise you. Lord, do your work in our midst here this morning. Thank you that we've been able to sing praises and have this prayer time and and look forward to time in your word. Lord, bless the proclamation of your word. Help Brennan as he preaches, but also, Lord, help us to have hearts that are eager and hungry to receive your word. Lord, we thank you so much that we can be a support to Amun and Gazala. And Lord, as they have been unable to travel to Pakistan recently, please help the distribution of Bibles and shoes to go in an amazing way, Lord, that certainly doors would be open for the gospel to be shared and that many young people, children, and even their adults, uh, parents, would uh, come to hear the message and come to faith in Christ. Lord, thank you for Amun and Gazala and uh, what seems like their tireless work in their labor of love for you. And uh, Lord, use them there in Metuchen. And um, thank you so much that we're able to be a support to them. Lord, help uh, Amun's back to heal up. And uh, Lord, bless the, the marriage of their son uh, as that comes up soon. Uh, we're grateful for your many blessings upon them. And Lord, we thank you so much for Pam. And uh, Lord, continue to be her strength in times of weakness. Lord, as she continues mourning the loss of Sam, uh, help her to know of your presence and your peace in her life. Even right now, Lord, encourage your heart in the things of your word. And Lord, we, we also lift up Peter and Heather Malachar and their family as they mourn the loss of Peter's father. We pray that Christ would be exalted in, in that service and that others would hear and come to faith in Christ because of this service that they'll be having. Lord, we thank you so much for Brooke and Andy and Amelia. And Lord, we lift up Amelia to you, thanking you uh, for your care, your protection for her. And uh, please continue to help her little body uh, get stronger and stronger and, and more healthy so that they can come home soon. And Lord, we want to give you thanks for uh, our mayor and our sheriff here today. Thank you for Kenny and Richard. Bless these men. Help them with the, the responsibilities that they carry. Give them wisdom, Lord. And thank you for your provision and protection over their lives. Thank you so much for your amazing love for us, your amazing grace upon us. Help us now as we hear uh, your word. Be glorified in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And at this time, our children may be dismissed for Children's Church in the Fellowship Hall. Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11, please. We're continuing on through Romans, and uh, the plan today is to cover all of 11 through 24, and uh, we'll see um, if we can make it that far. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world... And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if... God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. And we pause from our week, we pause from our normal course of life to worship you, to do so together, corporately. 
we bow down to you and declare that you are God, you are our God, you are our Savior, and there is no other. We give you honor. We praise you for what you have done for us in Christ, that we who were apart from you, we who were rebels and lost in sin, in Christ have been reconciled to you. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your patience. Father, we ask this morning as we come to a passage of Scripture that is uh, perhaps difficult to understand, we pray that you would help us to work hard to do so. We pray that you would help us to uh, be all here and not distracted by those things that have gone before or might come after or that we're worried about. Help us to set those aside momentarily to focus on your word. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us through your Word. Make it known to us. Father, we rejoice that we have this opportunity. We rejoice in Jesus. I pray that he would be glorified in these next few minutes. And we pray in his name. Amen. So, of all the comments I could make about our culture... And it's tempting to make comment after comment after comment about our culture. But one that I think I can safely make is uh, that our world, our culture has changed drastically in the last uh, 50, 60, 80 years. And I speak not in terms of some, uh, some topic that would be controversial, but just in terms of throwing stuff away. Some of you... Uh, were raised in contexts where the um, Great Depression was a reality, either maybe in your own life or in your parents' lives. And so there's a, there's a sense of that you need to keep everything and you need to repair it when it gets broken. And, of course, that used to be, in a sense, easier because things used to be made of metal and things that you could fix. And now it's mostly plastic, and when the plastic thing breaks, what are you going to do, Right. And so there, there was a sense that uh, you keep this thing and you fix this thing and you pass it on to your kids and they will keep it and they will fix it and they will use it, whether it's a tool or uh, something in the house, furniture or something like that. Well, that, that's not really the culture that we live in now. When something breaks, it may go in the garage for a while or it may just go straight to the curb but so many things are just replaced. They are thrown away. And so I think we kind of live in more of a throwaway culture now than a fix-it culture. When something's broken, when something is not functioning the way you want it to, the tendency is to get rid of it, to push it out, to throw it away and replace it with something different. Well, the questions that we're asking today have to do with whether God is a fix-it God or whether he's a throw-it-away God. When we read the Old Testament, when we read through the story of redemption in the Old Testament and God's working with Israel, it, it doesn't take long in reading about the nation of Israel where you begin to see failure. 
You begin to see unbelief. You begin to see a trespass. You begin to see even apostasy. It's, it's broken. They're a broken people. And they're no different from us, by the way. That just happens to be the people focused on the most in the Old Testament. And so it's made clear for all of us. We get to see it all. Well, the question is going to be if, if Israel is such a broken people, what's God going to do? Is he going to be more like my generation or younger generations and get rid of it and start something new? Or is he going to do something different entirely? Will God throw them away or will he do something else? In other words, in introducing our passage today, Paul has been talking in in Romans chapter 11 about a couple of different things, about Israel's apostasy, their unbelief, their rejection of the Messiah by and large. There were exceptions, but the first question, the one we talked about last week, was whether Israel's apostasy was total. Was it every member of Israel? Was it every Jew who had rejected Christ? And Paul says, well, no, because I'm right here, and I'm a Jew, and I'm a Christian. So we know that the rejection was not total. There were some who were the exception, and Paul himself was one of those. But this week we're going to take up a, a, a second question that's a related question. That is, was Israel's apostasy final? The question last week was, was it total? And the answer was no. There's a remnant. The question now is, well, was it final? Was it final? And so we turn to our passage today, and we're going to look at victory and loss. Victory and loss. Look at verses 11 and 12. So I ask, Paul says, did they, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? The question is about the purpose of Israel's stumbling. Why did they stumble? Not, not what caused their stumbling, but what was the purpose? What was the end? What was the direction of their stumbling? Was it so that they could be destroyed? Well, the answer is no, by no means. The, the purpose of their stumbling, the, even the end result, the final result, is not their destruction. He asks the question, did they stumble in order that? For the purpose that, or with the result that, they might fall, be destroyed, be done away with? Well, he says, no. Put that thought out of your mind immediately. That was not what happened. He says, rather, there was a different purpose. There was a different even result to their fall, to their stumbling, to their apostasy. I have to pause here for a second and just talk about the difference between purpose and result. And by the way, it's hard for us sometimes to identify the difference, to to distinguish very clearly between the intended purpose for something to happen and the end result of what happens. I can intend for something to happen. If I intentionally, you know, shook your hand, I intended to shake your hand, right? 
There can be a result that happens that was never intended, but nevertheless, that was the result. So if I'm walking around on the stage while I preach, and I trip and I fall down flat on the floor, well, that, I assure you, was not my intention. And hopefully it doesn't happen. But if it does, that's the, that's the end result of my tripping. Well, when, when Paul asks the question here, did they stumble in order that they might fall? It's difficult for scholars to understand. It's difficult for us to understand Uh, Is this purpose, or is this end result? And our passage today, actually, I think, kind of maintains a little bit of that ambiguity. Because we can see, peeking ahead at our passage through the rest of our time, that you see God intentionally at work through all of this that's going on. He's not simply picking up the pieces. He's not simply dealing with the results. But you see him actually intending things, having a purpose and intention behind what is going on. But he says the purpose and the final result is not the the final crash and destruction of Israel. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That Yes, there was a stumbling, there's an apostasy, there's a falling, there's a disbelief, there's a a trespass, sin... But it has a purpose. And their purpose brings riches to the Gentiles. The purpose of their stumbling brings blessing to the world. Riches to you and me. And so there is a purpose. But it's not just that they stumble and fall and be destroyed. That's not really what he's shooting at here. He's he's got something larger in mind that there is a purpose. But that purpose is for the gospel to go around the world. And not just to a particular people group, not just in a particular location, but to come to people like you and like me. And so you and I can praise the Lord for that because most of us are not Jewish. Most of us are a part of the world in this sense. Most of us are a part of the Gentiles and we can praise God that he has worked in this way that the gospel has come to you and to me, those who are not a part of the people of Israel. He had a purpose in doing so. But he had a secondary purpose. I don't say secondary as in secondary in importance, but a second purpose of making Israel jealous. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He's got a purpose of making Israel jealous. By the way, this didn't just come out of the blue. If you look back at chapter 10 and and verse 19, remember reflecting from the Old Testament on words of Moses there? Paul asks in verse 19 of chapter 10, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. He had spoken all the way back in the law, all the way back in Moses, that this was going to happen, that there was going to come a time of of such continued and and nearly perpetual apostasy and disobedience on, on the part of God's people that he would come to a point where he, he's going to make them jealous. He's going to begin to work with another nation that's not a nation 
for the purpose of making them jealous. So he had said before that he was going to do that, but that raises the question for us. How can jealousy be a good thing? Why would God seek after jealousy amongst his people? I mean, we teach our children not to be jealous, right? We, we believe that jealousy is a bad thing. Well, if we define jealousy clearly and be careful, then we can understand what's going on. Jealousy is essentially wanting what someone else has. And if we define it that way, we can see that it might have a good meaning or it might have a bad meaning. Mostly it's a bad meaning. Mostly that guy has a nicer car than me, and so I would like that. Or, or this person has a better situation or, or something, and so I want what they have. Well, that's bad, and that's, there's envy connected with that, and that's a sinful notion of the heart. But there are instances when jealousy is appropriate. If, if a, a wife sees her husband giving romantic attention to someone besides her, is she right to be jealous? Yes. That romantic attention is hers and hers alone. And so, yes, she's right to be jealous in that sense. She's, she's right to respond and recognize, wait a minute, this person is receiving what is mine. And the response of jealousy would be natural. And so, when we're talking about what's going on here with with God making the people of Israel jealous, that's what we have happening. That Paul, who was an apostle to the Gentiles, his primary work was with the Gentiles. But we know and we remember everywhere he went, he would show up in town, he would go to the synagogue, he would preach there until he got run out of there, and then he would go to the Gentiles. And I uh, teasingly commented that he would go right next door, and sometimes we know he did that, went right next door to the synagogue and preached there, not just because it's, you know, a short walk to go between the two, but probably partially so that the Jews would see what was going on. That those who had rejected the gospel, those who had rejected the Jesus that Paul preached, that they would see this group of Christians right next to the synagogue receiving God's blessing. And that they would be drawn to a form of jealousy because what Paul was saying and what the New Testament writers are saying and what Christianity is teaching is that that blessing of salvation was promised to Israel. That God said he was going to work with them. The blessing was going to be to them. It was to their forefathers. And here this blessing has gone right next door to the synagogue to the primarily Gentile audience over there and that would cause them that it's designed it's intended to cause them to say wait a minute those blessings from God are being poured out on a people who are not a people they're being poured out on Gentiles that's supposed to be our blessing and draw them to a point of jealousy, and draw them to a point, hopefully, and ultimately, so that they would move towards the gospel, so that they would begin to respond positively to the Messiah that was sent for them. That that jealousy would cause them to want to know more, and cause them to want to find out more, and cause them to want to draw near to Christ and be saved. And so thus, you have blessing going to all. God and His wisdom used the turning away of the Jews to bring the blessings of salvation and peace with God to the Gentiles around them. He turned their rejection into 
profound blessings. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, that's what's, that's what's brought about. When they rejected, the gospel went far and wide. And it continues to go far and wide. If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, then what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Blessing to all. Amazing blessing to all. If God was able to to do all of that, if He was able to bring reconciliation to the world because of their disobedience, imagine what He might be able to do with their obedience. And this is what God is doing. This is what God is working. His wisdom, His sovereign working in the course of nations and people groups. His working in the lives of the individuals who make up those nations and those people groups are put on display in this chapter in Romans 11. That, that God, is, God is not only working here and now. The picture He's looking at and the picture He's painting is not just for you and me today. It's not just what we see. It's much, much larger than that. If we were, if we were to take a slice out of history and examine that cross-section, we would find different things depending upon when we looked. If you look in the Old Testament, you took a slice of history, what would you find? Well, you would find blessing being poured out on Israel, and you'd find disaster for the Gentiles. What if you took that slice out of New Testament history? Well, you'd find exactly the opposite. You'd find blessing being poured out on the Gentiles and going far and wide, and yet, for the most part, disaster in Israel. It depends on when you take your slice in history. But God is not just taking slices in history. He's not just painting a picture for us today, nor was He simply showing something to these people back then. God is working throughout history to accomplish something far greater and far grander and more glorious than we can understand. There's a, a common phrase that's going around right now, and so I looked it up to see what it meant because I didn't know. It's something about 4D chess. Well, I struggle with 2D chess. When I imagine 4D chess, I, I don't know. But chess is a difficult, uh, difficult enough game by itself, but you can add different dimensions, and apparently people have figured out how to make 4D chess, four-dimensional chess. I, I don't know any more about it than I've already told you, okay? I don't get that, okay? But it's used common. Apparently, it actually is a game, and I searched for it, and I tried to read the rules, and it didn't matter anyway. But it's used to refer to someone who's thinking not just ahead, but someone who's thinking big picture in a, in a, in a different way than everyone else is thinking. And that's what God is doing. He's not simply working step after step through history. He's not simply thinking ahead. He's looking at the whole picture. And he's going to paint a picture that will be more glorious than we could ever have imagined. That we would, that we would never understand. We would never reason our way towards. And so what happens is the story of the Bible, the whole course of history, the whole course of redemptive history, we see God at work. You see, he, he goes to Abraham. Early on in the Bible, 
you're 11 or 12 chapters into the Bible and, and you meet Abram and God calls him and he makes promises to him and he begins to work in his life and he makes promises that were going to go to his offspring as well. And I have misnumbered my sheet, so it may get more confusing later. <laughs> 4D chess, okay, is way beyond me. <laughs> Two-dimensional paper is like where I'm stuck. <laughs> he, he chooses and he's working with, with Abraham. He makes promises to him, to his offspring, and he's cultivating them. He, he begins to cultivate this people. And at first, of course, it's just Abram and his wife. And then along comes a son. And then along comes, the, the, you know, the generations that come after that. But God is working. He is cultivating them like an olive tree. He's working in them. He's made promises to them. Well, then fast forward to the New Testament and the Messiah, who's the realization of those promises to Abraham, comes on the scene and the result is that they reject him. They, they fail to receive him. They trespass against him. They don't, they don't want him. Well, then what happens then? Game over? End of the story? Well, no, God uses that in a glorious way and he takes the gospel beyond them to Gentiles like you and me. So the very rejection causes the gospel to go far and wide, causes Gentiles to be saved. And so we have salvation coming more and more to the Gentiles. And when that salvation seems like it is passing by Israel in favor of the Gentiles, there's a, there's a jealousy, a productive Jealousy that arises in the heart of the Jews as the gospel goes around them. And the end result becomes their own response. Their own joining in and believing the gospel. So that God's 4D chess that he's playing is not just step after step. It's not just looking into the future or, or seeing ahead. He's actually doing it in such a way that he brings in the fullest reflection of his glory and salvation. So that you have Jew and Gentile alike being saved. So that you have the gospel going far and wide. So that you have even him using the disobedience and the rejection of different people groups to bring about salvation broadly. In a greater and bigger picture than we could have imagined. And so that's what he's aiming at that's what he's shooting for and and he says there in verse 15 if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world then what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead now, some people think that refers to the final resurrection uh, other people think it's it's a reference to something even more glorious than we can imagine that the the blessings of Israel coming in and of Jew and Gentile alike being saved in enormous numbers is such a, f a wonderful and glorious thing that that uh, we can't quantify it and so he says life from the dead it 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 it's fabulously glorious it's more glorious than we can imagine it's the culmination of the greatest 4D chess playing ever god being glorified in that way but that's not the end of the passage, and that's not the end of the story. He says in verse, verse 16, he refers to arrogance and branches. And, uh, he enters into an image here of, of uh, roots and branches and trees and grafting in this kind of branch and taking out that kind of branch, but then grafting it back in. And I don't 
I don't know about that. And scholars debate over whether Paul actually understood. Some scholars think, oh, Paul obviously grew up in the city because he didn't understand how it's done because you don't graph this way, you graph that way. And others say, no, no, Paul was far more subtle than you realize that sometimes there was, I'm not trying to enter into all of that discussion about what Paul or didn't know about grafting in. I think the image that he's trying to picture, the image he's painting for us is the point. And that point has to do with you, and it has to do with me. He says in verse 16, he says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. You see, there was a good beginning. There was a good beginning, and I think that's what he's referring to here with, with the root or, or the, the, the lump of dough. He's talking about... Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's talking about how he began. He's talking about the very beginnings of the people of Israel. He's talking about that was the beginning, that, that the whole story of Genesis is spelling out God's working with those people. This was a, a good beginning, and this is where God is beginning to cultivate these people. He's beginning to, to grow and develop. He makes promises to them. He protects them. He sanctifies them. He works in all kinds of different ways. He makes <clears throat> promises to them that are very unique that give them a very privileged position as God's people. It was a good beginning. He blessed them. He blessed their families. And he made them holy in his sight. And then having invested and promised so much to the patriarchs, even making promises about their offspring, will he have no regard for their descendants? That's the point of what's being said. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In other words, despite their disobedience, he will not cast them off finally, completely, corporately as a people. There was a, a good beginning that he can point to. There's a, there's a root. There's a, the beginnings that he can point to. However, their disobedience does open the door for other engrafted members or branches. There's, there's the opportunity. The door has been opened for others to be grafted in. He, he says in verse 17, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourish, nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Their disobedience has made room for others to be grafted in, some from what he calls a wild olive shoot, which is not a compliment. Okay? If you if you had the option to have a wild olive tree in your yard or a cultivated olive tree in your yard, you would take the cultivated olive tree because it produces fruit. The other is just a nuisance. It doesn't really accomplish anything. It's kind of useless. And so when he says there's a cultivated tree, well, that, that, that's a compliment. Now, of course, we've got disobedience going on. But then he says, I took you, or God took you, a wild olive branch, and grafted you in. That means I took you, who produced no fruit, who was not of ultimate worth, who didn't deserve to be grafted into this cultivated 
olive tree. And so when he, when he refers to me, when he refers to you, when he refers to Gentiles as a wild olive shoot, it's not complimentary. We, but we get to be included. And this is the gospel, by the way. I've mentioned many times about those I share the gospel with who think they need to become worthy first. They're concerned that the, you know, the doors of the, of the church will explode or something if they, if they walk in because they're not worthy. And I'm wanting to encourage them, you're not, and let's go. Because you're not worthy, that's the point. You're a wild olive shoot. But God grafts in wild olive shoots into that nourishing root. And life is produced. And fruit is produced. And so anytime someone says that to me, it concerns me because of uh, what their own desire is. Uh, They don't understand that they need grace now, and grace is available now. They want to earn it. We Gentiles get to be included in the nourishment, the support of of the root that's not our own. And we don't have any rightful claim on that root. And yet God transplants us. He grafts us in to bring life, to bring fruit, to bring salvation to us. So don't be arrogant. If you're a Christian, it's because of the grace of God in your life and not any superiority of your own. Better and smarter and more sensitive people than you or me have gone their whole lives without ever finding peace with God without ever being reconciled, being saved. Being redeemed is certainly cause for rejoicing. It's cause for celebration, but there is no room in it for boasting or for arrogance on our part. We need to remember that. And then he gives a warning against unbelief. Verses 19 and 20. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through your faith. So do not become proud, but fear. The difference between the the Gentile branch that's been grafted in and the Jewish branch that's been broken off, that's been taken out, is belief or unbelief. It's belief or unbelief. He's talking about faith now. The warning he gives against unbelief is a warning that all of us need to hear in this sense. Sometimes we can find our confidence and our security by looking to a transaction that happened in the past. I have people come into my office occasionally and they're, they're struggling and they're wondering, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? If I were saved, I wouldn't have these doubts or I wouldn't have this sin in my life or I wouldn't have this struggle. And the temptation is to say, well, wasn't there a time, once upon a time, when you prayed this prayer? Wasn't there a transaction that took place? Wasn't there something we could point to that would settle the whole thing? Yeah, back in the day, this happened. And so, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. I don't like to do that. And that's, that's not the route that I take when someone comes in and they're questioning and they're wondering, am I really a Christian? Do I really know Christ? The questions I ask them have to do with their faith now, not anything that happened in the past, because that's not the point. I ask them and I'm concerned about what is happening in their lives now. Do they, 
trust Christ now? Or do they think uh, Christ is pretty good, but I better supplement with something? Or do they think, yeah, I used to believe in Jesus, but now I don't really. I'm kind of just a good person or whatever. The question is about what they believe now. It's not about a transaction. It's about their faith. And the example of Israel here is, is part of that argument that Paul is making. When Jesus was dealing with the Jews, when he was dealing with, usually in the Gospels, Jew refers to a religious leader in the Gospels typically. When he was dealing with religious leaders, they would very often say, hey, we're sons of Abraham. I mean, I don't know what you're uh, trying to evangelize us for. I don't know what you're correcting us for. We're sons of Abraham. There, something happened in the past. God made a promise. God made, made this, these, these guarantees to Abraham. He worked with Abraham, and we're his offspring, so we're in. Because this transi- transaction happened in the past. And how often did Jesus have to correct them and say, well, if you really were sons of Abraham, you would believe me. If you, if you really did bear the fruit, if that really was true of you, that you were a child of Abraham, that you really were right with God, you would see it in your faith. But it's not there. They were too often relying upon what had taken place in the past. Just like very often when people come into my office, they're, they're trying to rely upon the fact that they walked the aisle, that they prayed a prayer and they really meant it, that they signed a card or they came forward at camp or something happened in the past and they're wanting to point back and examine, was that genuine? Was that real? Well, that's not the concern. What genuinely or really took place in the past, it's your faith. Do you believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you recognize your own need for him, that you don't measure up to God's standard, that that you don't have what it takes, and he does, and you must have him? You must have his record of righteousness applied to your account. You must have his payment for sin as payment for your own sin. That's the question, is about are we looking to Christ now, not did a transaction happen in the past And I think that's part of what is going on in this discussion is there's a tendency for the Gentile to say, yeah, you know, but the branches are broken off to make room for us because we're, you know, God's people 2.0. Here we are. We're the ones that God is blessing. He he, he got rid of the, the disobedient bunch and here we are. So, right, this transaction that took place in the past. And Paul is warning and saying, don't bet your hope. Don't bet your life and don't bet your future on a transaction like that. Examine your faith. Do you trust in Christ? That's the question. It's a warning against unbelief. And so in verse 21, he says, Do not become proud, but fear. For God will not, if God will not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. The question is about your faith, not about your people group. It's about your relationship with God. It's about your faith in Christ. Not about yours as a people group. That's part of the struggle I have with with, uh, some of the things going on in our culture, politically, etc. Is trying to pit people group against people group. This group against that group. Whether it's economic or it's racial or whether it's religious or whatever. It's people group against people group. The message of the gospel is about you. 
Don't care what people group you're in. It's about you and your faith in Christ. The Bible says that you personally have guilt before God that you can't fix. You can't fill in that hole. You personally have an account to settle with God. And your debt is great. It is too great for you to pay. And that's where Jesus comes in. Who pays that debt. Who has obedience. Perfect obedience and righteousness before God. And gives his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for you personally. Not for a people group. For you. And by faith in Christ, you stand before him reconciled to God. Having that debt paid, having that righteousness as your own. And so, the call here is a, is a personal call, but it's also a call to churches, to, to Christian communities. No church will survive long if it, looks, if it looks to the past for its security, for its identity. Such a church just won't reproduce a church is to lead its people to faith in Christ, not to historical roots. I'm all for historical roots. Historical roots are important, things that God has done in our church or in, uh, in the, the church in the United States, etc., etc., in church history. Those are important. Those are, those are very important things, but we do not find our present hope and our present identity in those things. We find them in Christ. And any church that seeks to find identity in something that happened in the past, whether the good old days or, or uh, you know, when America was great or, or whatever, is, is destined not to reproduce. We are to proclaim Christ. And when culture like ours shifts so blatantly and quickly away from any sort of Christian values, it's, it's temp- tempting for Christians to want to huddle together and pretend like it's the good old days again. Remember when we dressed like that? And remember when we acted like that? And remember when we did these things? And we, we should gather together and, and pretend like it's the good old days. Well, Christianity is not about the good old days. Probably the good old days weren't as good as you recall. As good as I imagine they might have been or remember them to be. Christianity is not about that. Christianity is about Christ. About what he's accomplished. It's about knowing him, knowing his word, and walking with him. And so, we lift up Christ before us. We preach the law to remind us that we are unable to meet God's standard, and so we need a gracious Savior. We preach the realities of sin and hell so that we know the consequences of life and death without a Savior. We preach the holiness of God so that we don't begin to think that he's too much like us and well, maybe actually we could live up to his standard. So we preach the holiness of God. We must have Jesus. And so we preach him and we keep him constantly before us and we talk about the gospel and we talk about our own need and we talk about what he's accomplished so that we will have Jesus before us and our faith in him will be increased that we will be looking to him and realizing we need to look to him and not, not just to the past. We can learn great things from the past, but our hope is in Christ and in him. And so moving on to our last section, Paul talks about these realities, the kindness 
and the severity of God. In verses 22 and following, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? First of all, there's severity because some were cut off. Some were cut off. Severity towards those who have fallen. I've referenced 4D chess several times in this message, but the analogy should not give you the impression that it's a game. Because it's not a game. The stakes are eternal. The stakes are infinite. We're talking about real, eternal, lasting consequences in the lives of real people. Some branches get cut off. Some branches get thrown away. And there are, there are branches in Paul's illustration that perish. They end up being destroyed. That is a reality. When we're talking about God and salvation and eternity, we are talking about what is most weighty and most important and has the most lasting consequences. So there is a severity. There is a sobriety. God really is judge. And he really is holy. And his response to sin is wrath. And anyone who dies in those sins will receive that wrath. And it will be eternal. And it will be awful. There is a, a severity in the topic we're talking about. Because some are cut off. But there is a kindness too. Because many, some are grafted back in. This is the kindness and do, do you sense the, the kindness of God in, in taking this tree that he cultivated, that he invested so much in, and then it went astray, it, it became apostate. And, and you, have, you have branches that, that are in unbelief, and they end up being taken away. And then God takes you and me, he takes Gentiles from a wild olive shoot and sticks us in there, grafts us in so that we now have life and can produce fruit. We who would produce no fruit on our own, who were wild and rebellious and left to ourselves, he, he plants in that tree and gives us life, though we don't deserve it. And then he takes some of those branches that were cut off. And what does he do? He grafts them back in as well. He gives life even to those branches that he grafts back in. This kindness and severity of God ought to be a powerful motivator for us to share the gospel with our neighbors, to share the gospel with those we love. There is such great kindness in God, but for the one who dies in his sin, there is a severity that will last forever. There, is a, there are consequences. We are talking about eternity. We're talking about eternal souls. We're talking about severe judgment and what we have to offer what we have to offer 
is the kindness of God to hold before people. That God is willing to take even wild branches and graft them into the tree. He's even willing to take those who were in the tree and were torn away. He's even willing to graft them back in. The kindness of God is amazing. The kindness of God is profound. His grace, His mercy, His willingness to work. To save sinners. So you can see finally, persistence and promise. Persistence and promise. Did you see the blessings are for those who persist in faith? Those who continue in faith. Those who look to Christ, those who believe in Him, those are the ones who receive the blessing. The caution that He gives here is for those who who would think, yeah, in the past I, I did something that guaranteed me some sort of benefit into the future. I don't really need to be concerned about my faith in Christ genuinely and presently. I can look to the past at what was accomplished sometime, and I'm good to go. He's saying, no, you need to look to the present. You need to persist in the faith now. Look to Christ now. Believe the gospel not just once upon a time, but believe the gospel right now. Not so that you can newly enter into the faith every day as if you need to get saved every day. That is not the case. But we do need the reminder of the gospel. We need the reminder as Christians of the gospel, of the fact that we ourselves are not worthy, that we ourselves don't measure up, that we have to have Messiah Jesus. We have to have Him as our Savior. We have to have His righteousness and His forgiveness in order for us to stand before God at peace with God. And so we remind ourselves to look to Christ today. To look to Christ today. And when tomorrow comes, we will say, look to Christ today. And when next Sunday comes, we will say, look to Christ today. Persist in faith. Persist in faith. But I love what he says about those who have been broken off. Look at verse 23. The conclusion of verse 22, he says, Otherwise you too will be cut off. So he's referencing some who have been cut off. And he says, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Even for those who have persisted in unbelief their entire lives. To the present, no matter their hatred of God, no matter their opposition of God, no matter that they've heard the gospel 100 times and have rejected the gospel 100 times, he says, if they would stop persisting in their unbelief, they could be grafted in too. And that's the message for some of us this morning. You've persisted in unbelief. You've insisted upon rejecting Jesus. You've insisted upon going your own way. Maybe you'll get to him later, or maybe you couldn't care less. If you would stop persisting in that unbelief, if you would believe the gospel, look to Christ not as your enemy, but as your only hope, then you would find that you would be grafted in. That even you who maybe have persisted in unbelief for 50, 60, 70 years, I don't know, you would find yourself grafted in. So stop persisting in unbelief and trust in Christ. That's the kindness of God that even you who have maybe rejected God for so long, He still 
presents Christ. And in him you will find salvation if you would but trust in him. And so the application for some of us is persist in faith. And the application for some of us is stop persisting in unbelief and believe and you will be saved. So our passage today, I know it's, it's been long and, and a process. And that's on purpose because Paul is spelling out and describing what God has done through the course of history. We're talking millennia at work. That God has been putting together this portrait, this picture, this salvation that comes to the ends of the earth. Where he even uses apostasy and turns that into the expansion of his kingdom. He's given us a, a glimpse, glimpse into the wisdom of God and, and the care of God in the way that he saves sinners. We would never have imagined this path. We would never have decided to do it this way. And so, take heart when you look to those around you who don't yet believe. Even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Let's pray. Father, this, this has been a technical passage to work through in some ways. It's been difficult maybe to understand, to get our minds around in such a short time. But we come away understanding that you are all wise. And you are working in the course of history, even amongst nations, to save sinners, to bring the gospel to corners of the world like Fallon America. And we rejoice that we have been included. We rejoice that we, wild olive shoots, have been grafted in. Father, we praise you for this salvation that we have in Christ. Like that wild olive shoot, we do not deserve to be grafted in. We thank you for Jesus who gave his own life to pay the penalty for my sin, to the sin that I should have paid before you, the sin that I would owe, the penalty that I would owe if I died in my sin. And Jesus died in my place and gives me forgiveness of sin and gives me righteousness and right standing before you because of what he's accomplished. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would go away thinking about Jesus, looking to him and what he's accomplished and the peace with you that we have in him. My prayer also is for those who don't believe or maybe they've not believed until this morning. My prayer is that they would stop persisting in their unbelief, that they would look to Christ, see their need, and run to Him and find full forgiveness, salvation, find themselves grafted in, having life given to them, not because of what they've done, but because of Jesus Himself. I pray that you would save some even this morning, graft in some even this morning. Father, we are amazed at your glory and your wisdom. We're humbled and we worship you today. 
We pray for your blessing as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.